Thank you, team, so much for leading us this morning, and um, what a blessing to worship together. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, and looking at verses 1 through 4, just continuing this study through this letter uh, to this growing, thriving church in a place called Colossae. And um, I look back over my life, and um, I can look growing up especially, and maybe you can relate, but going through phases in life where at certain, whether it's years or chunks of time, your life revolves around a thing or something. Uh, I remember growing up, uh, especially when the Karate Kid had come out, and, and uh, I was Ralph Macchio. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I remember going to Walmart, getting karate PJs, wearing them all the time, taking Taekwondo at the YMCA, and, and for a time, like my life was karate. Or uh, I hit a skateboarding phase uh, for a little while. That was not good, all right? But, but I had the shoes, I had the board, I had the clothes. I actually took my new skateboard outside to the concrete uh, and I raked it against the concrete to make it look like I had been skateboarding. It, it was really sad, but there was a time in my life where uh, I would say my life was skateboarding or, or growing up playing uh, different sports growing up, love basketball. And if there's any Memphis State fans from back in the day, I was John Wilfong. I, that's who I was. I was John Wilfong and I wanted to be John Wilfong and I just played ball and that's who I was and I would say basketball's life. Matter of fact, in the 90s there were these shirts that said uh, life is fill in the blank the rest is just details. Um, whether it's life is basketball, life is skateboarding, life is karate, <laughs> whatever it is, life is the rest is just details. And, and Paul in this text specifically is helping us and challenging us as a church with this truth, Jesus is life, and the rest is just details. Jesus is life. Colossae, this young church, they were growing, they were thriving, uh, they were increasing. The Bible says they were bearing fruit. Uh, we've learned over these past few weeks that there were outside pressures, false teachers that were leaning in, even trying to infiltrate the church and hijack, take their minds captive. The Bible tells us to false teaching. They are doing everything they can to diminish Jesus, doing everything they can to elevate man. And, and, and what Paul is going to help us be reminded of is that Jesus is life. That if there's a focus to this letter is that we are complete in Christ, that Christ is our focus. And in this text, there's a, a little saying that maybe you've heard or maybe had it said to you. But Paul, I believe in this few verses is going to help us remember who we are and remember whose we are. If you ever were kind of growing up and you were going out there, maybe your dad, your mom, grandma, granddad, somebody in your family says, before you go, I want you to remember, remember who you are and remember whose you are. And this is what Paul is going to help this young church remember. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. In a lot of Paul's letters, you'll see kind of two broad strokes in his teaching or in his letters. Typically, they will revolve around uh, doctrine or truth and then also around the practical living out or the practice of that truth. 
And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he has laid the doctrinal truth of who Christ is and that we are complete in Christ. And it's because of that that there is an impact that happens in the believer's life. And that's what he's, it's happening in this text is there is a transition that is happening from being in Christ, those in Christ who have a relationship with Christ, and what that looks like in our daily lives. And so verse 1, we see right out of the gate in this text, we see the believer's reality. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this, If then, if then you have been raised with Christ. So he's about to get into the practical, and we're going to get there. But he says before there, understand this, if then you have been raised in Christ, some of your translations may say since you have been raised with Christ. He's affirming that there is a transformation that has happened in the life of the believer. That from the onset of this letter, you see Paul encouraging this young church because of their faith in Christ Jesus. That the Bible teaches us that when you repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, that there is a transformation that takes place. The old passes away. Behold, all things become new. He's helped this young church to be reminded that because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, you have been forgiven all of your trespasses. And not only that, but for those in Christ, through the finished work of the cross, Christ has disarmed the enemy, the rulers and authorities. He's made a public spectacle of them. In other words, when you are in Christ, you are no longer under the power and the rule and reign of sin. Christ, through the finished work on the cross, has cut the power cord. He has cut the power cord and sin can no longer rule and reign in your life. And so what he is communicating and reminding this young church again is since you have been raised with Christ. And for anybody in the room or even listening online that would say, I have had that time and place. I have a relationship with Christ. I am in Christ. Then Paul is going to challenge us in some significant ways. So since believer, since you in Christ have been raised with Christ, you are going to have a different focus than anybody else on the planet. Your life is going to look so different because you have been raised with Christ. And here's what he says again in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says this, If then or since then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. To seek. If you dig into the language there, it's a present tense imperative or it is a command. And it is saying that this seeking the things that are above aren't this, isn't this occasional thing you do. Or once you begin a relationship with Christ for the first couple years, you're going to seek the things that are above. You're going to seek Christ, seek God. And, and then it kind of tells off or, or from the hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. This is when you're going to seek the things of God. No, the, the language here is as a believer, since you've been raised with Christ, you are going to continually be seeking the things that are above. Continually seeking, habitually pursuing Christ. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is a statement of exaltation. This is a statement of exaltation. Does this 
bring glory to God. That we would seek after things that exalt Christ. And so believers start asking different questions than the world asks. And one of those questions is that if we are seeking after the things that are above, where Christ is, exalted, seated at the right hand of the Father, when we are seeking after those things, then we are going to begin to seek after things that bring glory to God. So we start asking different questions. Instead of asking, how will this best benefit me? How will this best help me? We start asking questions like, what brings the most glory to God in this decision? You start bringing what brings God glory around, whether it's personal decisions or family decisions or, or even your career path, like whatever that is, whatever that is, do you bring it around this, this idea of seeking things that are above? What brings God the most glory? What gives him the most glory? Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now the reason I share that is because Paul wrote that statement, that I may know him. He wrote that statement about 30 years after that radical transformation on the Damascus Road. And so Paul was radically changed by Christ, radically saved by Christ. 30 years later, he's writing this letter and this is what he's saying. He's saying that I may know Jesus. It's this idea that if we knew Paul and we knew he got saved 30 years ago and we were to go up to him if he were here to, with, with us today and say, hey man, like what's going on? What, what are you up to? What, what you been going, what's been happening? He says, he says, I just want to know Jesus. I just want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus deeper. I want, to I want to know Jesus more. That this is the thing I am after in my life. He goes on to say in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, I have discovered that my life really is about one thing. And that one thing is about pursuing Jesus. Pursuing Christ's likeness. Seeking the things that are above. Seeking what brings Him the most glory. Because this is why we're here. From time to time, and we'll continue to say it. Why are we a church? Why are we even here? It's two things. For the glory of God and for the mission of God. That's why we're here. What is God's desire for our lives as believers that we would live lives that bring glory to Him? He'll say a little bit later in the letter, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so it, it, it's to honor Him, but it's not just a decision of your will of what you're seeking after, but it's also about your thought life. In verse 2 of Colossians chapter 3, he says this, he says, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So seek the things that are above, but also set your mind on things that are above. This word set appears 26 times in the New Testament. Paul writes it 23 of those times. And, and if you're ever in the room and you've ever been having that conversation and you keep repeating yourself over and over and over because you want whoever it is you're talking to to hear what you're saying and that it's important. This is what Paul is helping believers understand over and over and over. Set your mind on the things that are above. 
It again, like seeking, is a present tense. It's a command. In other words, it's not a one-time think. It's keep thinking. Keep setting your minds on the things that are above, that honor the Lord. God, help us to see things the way you see. Help us to gain the perspective of your perspective. Help us to live with a heavenly perspective, heavenly minded. There's a phrase that says, uh, don't let, or excuse me, he's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Have you ever heard of that? But, which I would disagree with. If you're truly heavenly minded, then you are of earthly good. We must be heavenly minded believers. We must be heavenly minded thinkers. This is what God is calling us to do. Be heavenly minded. But we struggle. We struggle. We struggle with the, the, the church or the people apart from Christ struggle. People in Christ struggle. We, we get distracted. We get focused on earthly things or these things we think we need that will satisfy us. And even like basketball and skateboard, like those things, those things are great. Pleasure is good, but they were never designed to fulfill. They were never designed to fulfill. God, God is challenging us through his word to not just seek the things that are above, but to think about things that are above. A couple years back, um, for years, I drove a, a Corolla. I called it the sweet Corolla. Um, how many of y'all have names for your cars? Just, just curious. Okay. So it's kind of like once you have a vehicle for a while, it gets a name. <laughs> and, and so my, my sweet Corolla, paint was peeling. Uh, the power windows were no longer power windows, AC's not working. It just came to the point where it's time. It's time to get a different vehicle. So I ended up trading it in for the truck I got now. Well, that's a whole big ordeal and process. And so in the process and the waiting, I was sitting on the front porch, a little used lot, had a nice little front porch, and I'm sitting there and I strike up a conversation with this guy who works there. Uh, and, and so, so we, we're having this great conversation. Come to find out he's the owner of the lot. And so we're talking and he has these super nice trucks, like tricked out, very nice cars and everything in between. And I'm talking to him and I'm like, so like owning your own lot, I was like, that's gotta be, that's gotta be pretty cool, right? Like you just get to take whatever car you want to home for the day, trade them out. Maybe I'll drive this one. And without blinking, he looks at me, he says, it's just metal. He said it like that quick. I was like, oh, that must be so amazing to be able to, like, to be able to take these cars and all that. He just says, it's just, it's just metal. And then the owner of the lot, after he says it's just a piece of metal, he starts witnessing to me about Jesus. He said, I, I didn't, had not gotten to the part where, you know, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. He starts talking about being heavenly minded. And so it's this reminder that we can all kind of, if we're not careful, we can become distracted with lesser temporal things. But rather, Paul's saying, since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Think and set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of earth. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So heaven is this incredible motivator for our lives. It brings perspective to our lives. When we think heavenly, 
It drives how we view our time and our resources, our treasure. Everything begins to change. And I mentioned that word set, set your mind. It's a, it's a calibration term. I, I, we are living in central time zone, which, by the way, I think is the best. I, I love central time. We moved from eastern time zone. And, and, and so, so in, in the U.S., you know, we have the eastern, we have central, we have mountain, we have Pacific. And, and what happens is you basically live your life around that time zone. And what Paul is helping us again to understand is like, listen, you've been raised with Christ. You no longer live in a time zone where you arrange your life around what you desire, your will, your flesh, your way. It's like, look, you're in Christ. You're a new creation. Old passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're on Christ standard time. That's what you're on. And so everything around your life revolves around being set on the fact that Christ is central in everything you do. So he says, you're in Christ. Your life is going to look different. Your mindset is going to look so different from the world. Your mindset, what you're going for, your priorities, all these things look different in light of Christ. In light of what Christ, Philippians 4, 8, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So as believers, we have a new reality. We are in Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We have a new focus. Believers' focus looks way different than the rest of the world. And I would even say from the youngest heart to the oldest heart, that if you are in Christ, is that our lives are going to have a different focus. It's going to have a different focus, but also that we have a, a different identity, the believer's identity. Verse 3, Colossians 3 says, For you have died. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Oftentimes, when we talk about a relationship with, Je with Jesus, we'll talk about, has there been that time and that place? And that's what the text is mentioning, for you have died. It's referencing a point in time. That there was a conscionable decision where you acknowledged your need for Jesus. You repented of your sin and you placed your trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. So for you have died. The old has passed away. You've died to the affection of the flesh. You've died to the law. Christ nailed it to the cross. Sin has no power over you. He disarmed the enemy through the finished work of Christ. He has cut the power cord of sin in our life. That you've died, there's no more you, it's Christ living in you. This is what Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he is communicating to the church, listen, you've died. You've died. The old you, it's, it's put away. You've died, there's no more you, it's Jesus living in you. You say, but I struggle. I struggle as well. We've become distracted. There are lots of shiny things out there. So why do I struggle? Well, that's the old you wanting you back. <laughs> but your new creation, that's not who you are. Your life is hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ. There is so much rich imagery in this word hidden. And it really is describes the identity of the believer. It's hidden. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a verb that means something happened in the past, but it's still happening today. 
that we are secure. We can rest in Him. We are clothed in His righteousness and His presence. Most Saturdays, and, and I, do, I do say most because it's not, I'm not, I don't have a perfect record here, but most Saturdays I fix breakfast for the kids. And it is a special breakfast, okay? And by special, I mean it's something that needs water. And then you can fix it. Uh, so it's typically either pancakes or it is muffins. Uh, just add water kind. And so, so I think of muffins. And, and blueberry muffins because they are so much better than any other muffin that has ever been invented. But, but you got the muffin mix. And now it's time to add the blueberries. So it comes in that little silver can. And you crack those open. And you get that sieve. And you put them in there. And then you run the water. You get them all clean. And then you dump them back in the batter. And then you get the spoon. And then the instructions are, I think it's step three, if my memory serves me correctly. But it's step three on the box. It says fold them in. Fold them in. And so what happens is you've got the spoon and you're working them into the batter. And what happens is these blueberries is you are melding them into the batter. You're folding them in the batter. And I'm sorry if you're getting hungry right now. Uh, lunch is coming, all right? But, but you fold them into the batter. They are surrounded by the presence of the batter. They are in the presence of the batter. And they are, many of them, hidden in the batter. This is a picture, I believe, of the believer's life hidden in Christ. It speaks of security. It speaks of safety. It speaks of rest. That when you are in Christ, He covers you. You are in Christ, covered with Jesus, surrounded. You're hidden in Him. The, the enemy and his attacks and his pursuit to to destroy, as the Bible teaches us, to steal, to kill, to destroy. Um, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Listen, for the believer, guess what? You can rest in him. Why? Because you're hidden in him. You're surrounded. The enemy wants to mess with you. Guess who he has to go through first? You're hidden in Christ. I love Romans 8. It speaks of those in Christ. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. And then he ends Romans 8 with, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. You are hidden in him. You are wrapped up. I, I think of a picture of a hand. And, and let's imagine you're the thumb. Okay? And it's if, if you lay down and you rest in Christ, you are hidden in Christ. That, that, that the, the rest of your hand would represent the presence of Christ in your life. And that you are hidden, you are surrounded, you are in Christ. You can be at rest because you are hidden in Him. But what happens oftentimes is we don't want to rest. We want to help, don't we? We, we like being helpers. And so we think there's a better plan. We think there's a better way. This is the way, God, you should do this. And so we come alongside and we try to coach the Holy Spirit with how He needs to work this thing out. But if you stick the thumb out, you end up having a fist. And that doesn't work out very well. Somebody typically gets hurt, okay? When as a believer, this text is like, listen, you, you, the old self, it's, it's been dead. You're, you're, you're dead. You're raised to walk in the news of life and you're hidden in Christ. I love John 10, 27, 28 speaks of the security of those in Christ. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He's got us. And so it's not just safety and security, but it speaks of His gift righteousness to us. 
that we understand that because of our sin, there is absolutely no way we could stand before a holy God. But the Bible teaches us that for those in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, sinful man's sake, He made Him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And when God sees us, He sees us hidden in Christ. He sees us clothed in His righteousness. This is that gift righteousness that we can rest in. And so there's a practical application here, and that is this. Is it for believers in the room, those who are in Christ, we are hidden in Christ. And so the question is, what does or who does the world see when they see us? Who does the world see? Who do your classmates see? Who do your coworkers see? Who does your boss see? Who does your spouse see? Who do your children see? And when your name is said for those in Christ, do they see Christ? And so we're allowing God to work in our lives, conforming us to His image. It's His ultimate will for our lives. But also, one thing I love about this word hidden is that it is also a passive verb. In other words, it means we rest and we're not doing the work. It's passive. There's a work being done but we're resting. Even if you don't see it, God is working. Even if you don't feel it, God is working. Anything that God would allow in your life, He wants to use in your life. And so He's working. We can rest. We're hidden in Him. And He does the work. For God works all things together for the good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. So as we hear about broken situations and scenarios, even like Mr. Harvey's testimony of his brother and, and the lostness there and the seeking and the prayer and the intercession and God's working, God is working, He's working. Uh, I think of the show Fixer Upper. I don't know if there's any Fixer Upper fans in the house, but, but I, I like the show, Good Times, I Wish I Could Fix Things, I Break Things. But, but I didn't realize this, but one of the things that Chip and Joanna do is when you agree to do that show, you also sign a contract saying that you will not get in the way. <laughs> you sign a contract saying you won't get in the way, that you'll stay away, and that you'll let them do their job. And if you let them do their job and you stay out of the way, when it's time to have the reveal, it's going to be good. <laughs> you just got to trust them, right? And I think about that. I think about the most desperate struggles that we have. And that when we want to fix it, but there are times where we just need to rest in Christ. That He has us and that He's working even if we don't see it. And He's working if we don't even feel it. But we can know that as we rest in Him and the power of His Holy Spirit, He is working something beautiful out. He works it all out for good because that's what He does. You can rest. You're hidden in Christ. You're secure. And in verse 4, He says, And when Christ, who is your life. I love that. It's almost like He didn't suggest that a believer's life would be about anything else. He says, when Christ, who is your life, he is your life as a believer. When Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him. As a believer, Christ is our life. Paul is alluding to the second coming. Christ will return. He will come in power. He will come in majesty. He will come in glory. And he was coming 
for His church. And this is the motivator. This is the motivator to seek things that are above and to think about things that are above because we're in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But it's challenging to live with a heavenly perspective. I love in John 14, and I'm wrapping up here, but John chapter 14, this is the eve of the crucifixion of Jesus. So this is the night before He will be crucified. They are on their way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is known as the place of crushing. This will be the place where he is betrayed by Judas, handed over Roman officials to kangaroo court after kangaroo court, where he will ultimately be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And in John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus, and I can almost imagine it, he looks into his disciples' eyes. Now, his disciples' eyes are troubled. They are struggling. And it it brings context to to this passage because because they are aware at some level of what's happening. Christ has made them aware that his hour had come. Like up until now, he would say, my hour has not come. The hour is not yet. My hour has not come. Well, his hour had come. And he will be going to the cross and he is departing physically from them. But it's all part of the plan. But Jesus tells him in John chapter 14, verse 1, he says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. That picture there is of raging waters, clashing against each other, raging against. That's the picture. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I not have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And I love that passage because Jesus could have talked to the disciples about anything. But he, he gave them comfort by talking about heaven. And he says this in his omniscience of knowing what he is about to endure for them. For those who are sinful, which is all man. He knows everything that's happening, yet he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And he begins to talk about heaven. And so as believers, Paul is challenging us. He's like, listen, church, you've you've been raised in Christ. The old's passed away. You're in relationship. You've been forgiven. The enemy's been disarmed. Live for my glory. Live for my mission. Your focus is going to be different than the world. Your focus is going to be different. You're going to seek after things that are going to be different. You're you're going to set your minds to things that are different. But listen, as believers, Christ is our life. He is our life. And so we live yielded to Him and yielded to His plan. And God, help us, help us to live our lives with a heavenly perspective. And so in some ways, it's almost as if Paul is saying to the church, church, remember who you are. And remember whose you are. Because if you're not focused, it is very easy to become distracted. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Those in Christ, you're a son, you're a daughter of the King. You've been buried with Christ. You've been made alive in Christ. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. His spirit dwells in you. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, Glorify God with your body. You're hidden in Him. You can rest in Him. You can rest in Him. Set your mind on things above, 
Seek the things that are above. This is the normal Christian life. And by God's grace and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, this is what our lives look like. Risen in Him, different mindset, different priorities. Why? Because Christ is our life because of what He's done for us on the cross. So I want us to pray. And as we pray, I realize there may be different applications for this text in our lives. And so I would just share for the believers, uh, you never know what's happening in a room. You never know what somebody's walking in with or someone's listening online with. You never know the deep struggle that's going on. And so to the believer in the room, I would say be encouraged. You are hidden in Christ. Rest in Him. And it could be that you're here today and maybe who knew what Mr. Harvey was walking through? Who knew what his family was walking through? But yet he was interceding and he was seeking other believers to intercede. And so we're going to have a few pastors up here. If you're here and you're just like, I just need another believer to pray over me, to pray for me. I need some intercession in my life. Will you pray for me? It would be a privilege to be able to do that. You could have a brother or a sister in the room. I want you to feel freedom, like go to them. If you want somebody to pray over you, let them pray. Let them pray. It could be that you're here and, and, and maybe the Holy Spirit is, is, is bringing some light, some conviction. And maybe there's some need to reorganize some things or rearrange things in our lives. Because right now, maybe it doesn't really look like Christ is our life. But we want Christ to be our life. We want to honor Him. We want to live yielded to Him. And so He wants to guide us and shepherd our hearts to do that. So maybe it's just a time of... Of, of examination and, and repentance and faith and trusting Him. Listen, we're all works in progress, but by God's grace, He wants to work in and through our lives. We're hidden in Him. And then there may be somebody here or listening that's, that's like, that you, there is no hope. Like, you're not hidden, you're exposed. And you're drowning in the deep end of self and sin. And you need to be rescued. And so... Christ Jesus loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, the first missionary to come into a broken world or broken people. And we have no way on our own to save ourselves. So Christ came, clothed in flesh. The Word says, tabernacled among us, lived a perfect, sinless life and was crucified on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And he was placed in the tomb and he rose from the dead. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, I need to be saved. I need a relationship with Jesus. And I would pray during this time that you would give your heart to Jesus. You want a pastor to come pray with you? We're here. Give your heart to Jesus. It's the most important decision you'll ever ever make. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you so much for this letter. Thank you so much for divinely inspiring this on-fire missionary named Paul, that in a Roman prison, he is writing to a church that is growing, that is thriving, but yet there are pressures. And the church needed to be reminded who they are, and they needed to be reminded whose they are. The Father, that 
that because as a believer we are in Christ, that we have been raised to a new life, that, Father, that our mindset is going to look different. Our goals are going to look different. We're going to seek things that are different. God, help us to have heavenly perspective. So, Father, for those who, God, for all of us, that we would be open and sensitive to how you want to reorganize things in our lives to live with a heavenly perspective. Father, for, for those brothers and sisters who are hurting right now, that they're troubled, that if you could look into their eyes, it's like raging waters. But yet Jesus brings comfort to say, trust me, believe in God, believe also in me. There is peace in you. In Christ, we are hidden in you. We can find rest and that you're working out something beautiful, but it's sure hard to see. But God, you are, you're faithful, you're always working. And God, again today, if there's anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with you, that today, they would repent of their sin and place their trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. God, would you do a work in our midst, do a work in our hearts. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a little instrumental now, but in a few moments we'll, we'll sing. But just be sensitive and obedient to the Holy Spirit in your lives. And let's pray that God will do a mighty work.